Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 42. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. A quick reminder, after this episode, head over to rootlessliving.com and grab a free, that's right, free digital subscription to the Rootless Living magazine. But you can also purchase a print subscription if you want to. Today I'm talking to Jesse and Casey, the duo behind Utopia Road Life, and today we go over what it's like spending a few years kind of downsizing and then building a trailer from the ground up that they purchased for just $1,000. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Jesse and Casey to the show. How are you guys? Good, how are you? Great. I'm doing good. Where are you guys right now in the world? Uh, we're in Vero Beach, Florida. Nice. Florida's got to be, what's the weather like right now? Uh, it's hot. It looks like it's right a thunderstorm. All right. Well, good to know. We might hear some thunder in the show. Those aren't new sound effects that I've brought to the show. That'll be actual thunder, just in case you're hearing that. And what do you guys consider yourselves? Full-timers, part-timers, some-timers? We are full-timers. What are you guys currently traveling in? It's a 95 Mallard travel trailer that's been completely refurbished. And when did you guys start? When did you go full-time? Uh, November of 2019. Twenty. Wow. You guys really, <laughs> you picked a date and went out and then all of a sudden the world stopped. This will be interesting. Yeah. It'll be fun to, yeah. to kind of hear. All right. Well, let's go back. Exactly. <laughs> Even though you guys have amazing timing, let's go back before November of 2019. And uh, where were you guys living? Did you have a house, an apartment? Did you guys have to sell? Did you have to change jobs? Let's get into all that. Show me what it was like. Right. And then what happened? We were living in Columbia, Missouri. And our youngest daughter at the time, she was out and she decided to join the military and left. So we decided to buy a travel trailer and renovate it and decide to live full time. Sold our house and pretty much everything that we own and hit the road. When did that idea hit you guys? I mean, I know you left in November of 2019, but when did you guys decide we're you know, or just even start conversating about buying a trailer? And then how long did it take to buy the trailer and how long did it take to renovate it? It actually started back in like 2013, 2014. We were living in a much bigger house than we needed. And we started talking about it was right when tiny homes first kind of started becoming popular. And we both thought that it was so interesting. And so it was something that was set in motion back then. And we moved from one place in Missouri and downsized and moved up to Columbia, Missouri. And that started our kind of like downsizing process. So from there, we sold our house and we moved into a small rental while we finished working on our RV. And then we moved in and have been living in it ever since. It's insane once you get rid of like a big place and you move into a little place, how you just realize what a waste of space kind of where you previously yes. were living. Yes. True. Very true. I, it is something I've said on the show. I don't mean to be a broken record, but I really wish it was something we experienced in like our 20s. Just maybe right out of high school, if we could start to learn right out of high school that it doesn't matter how big your house is or how many bathrooms you have or all these things that you can collect. It just weighs you down no matter what your income is. It's just overwhelming to have all this stuff. And it's interesting that this lifestyle, you know, I've done so many of these podcasts. This is a theme that keeps coming back up. But I want to talk about how was that process getting rid of the stuff? Was it a difficult one, a freeing one, an easy one? How did you guys cope? It was uh, it was kind of both. So it was a bit freeing to get rid of a bunch of stuff, but it was also kind of nerve wracking and during the process, because when we went from a bigger house to a smaller house, we bought a dumpster and threw out a dumpster load of stuff that we didn't need anymore. 
and uh, donated a bunch of stuff. And we kind of did the same thing before we went on the road is we had a big yard sale and we donated stuff and just got rid of things. And we came up with uh, about, what, 10 bins worth of sentimental things that we wanted to keep and everything else we got rid of. It's it's kind of funny, too, because you kind of have to shed that feeling that you've had your whole life that your possessions define you. So it's kind of it was a weird process for me to let go of all of those things that I thought that I needed to look successful or to be successful keeping up with the Joneses kind of situation. You know, if I didn't have all of those things, I wasn't successful or normal. That was kind of hard for me. Yeah, but it's amazing. The one thing you said is that you threw away a dumpster worth of stuff. So we're talking about stuff that we can't sell and we can't give away that's in our home. That It's like literally garbage. And, you know, and I mean that with the most respect because I did that as well, too, where I was like, I can't sell this. I can't give this away. But some reason I was holding on to it in the back of some closet somewhere. It's the weirdest thing once you really do get rid of. And it's different for us because it's not just about having less. We also have to, you know, take into account weight which I almost feel like that would be a cool rule for bricks and sticks where it's like, you can only bring in 3000 pounds worth of stuff and all of a sudden it'll change your life. (laughs) Did you guys have RV experience before you went full time? Did you guys do a bunch of RVing? No, we did not. (laughs) We, we, we've done some camping and stuff in our lifetime and everything like that, but this is our first, we contemplated between becoming schoolies um, or going with like a class C or a class A, but we decided to do a travel trailer so we can disconnect and leave it where, you know, where we're staying at so we can drive around. Well, let's talk about that process because that's come up on the show. The, I think one of the dumbest questions we ask as newbies when we don't know is, should I get a class A or should I get a fifth wheel, let's say. And it's not a question that can be answered by someone else for you. You know, and, and I always make the joke, if you had twin brothers that are married to twin sisters and had the twin amount of two kids, one would want a class A and one would want a fifth wheel. How did you guys go from wanting to renovate a schoolie or a class A to a travel trailer? What was kind of your decision for that? Well, we kind of made a determination on where we want to travel to and how long we want to stay. And if we have to go into town for things, we didn't want to have to completely break things apart and go down to run an errand. And definitely didn't want to have a vehicle to tow behind like a car or anything like that. So we decided to go with the travel trailer. And the price is right. We picked up our travel trailer for $1,000. So it was like, all right, we've got it now. We can do what we need to do to it. So that was kind of the right timing. Wait, wait, go back. You said $1,000. Yeah. Wow. It was a bank repo. So we got it super cheap. And we thought it was in a little bit better shape than it actually was. We thought we were going to do kind of a, a partial thing, partial demo. But it ended up needing more work than we thought. Do you mind disclosing how much you had to put into it in regards to dollars? I think altogether, we just replaced our air conditioner last month and we've done some kind of large things, but it's been between nine and $10,000. We did everything ourselves from the ground up. So that's very cool. Yeah. Now you know that everything that's there, where it should be, and if it's the right stuff and all that kind of stuff. So that's got to be cool. But still coming out of $10,000 for a new home. I mean, (laughs) where can you get a home for $10,000 where you're not stealing it somehow? Yeah, that's amazing. Now I went through a little bit of the same process, but I was eliminated because of my height. I'm almost six foot seven. So schoolies, most class A's that I could afford. They just went out the window. There's nothing I could do about oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Like it's just my fifth wheel does do that for me. I look at those vehicles, the class A's and the schoolies, and I have the same feeling you guys have that 
I still would end up with a towed vehicle, basically. Instead of towing a trailer, I'm towing a car. But now I end up with two engines. I end up with probably two more expensive insurances. For me, I'd lived in a loft before and I felt like when I was in class A's, it was like I was living in a hallway or one big open space. So it was different. And I think that's what it takes. It just takes getting out and asking questions. But you guys did say something really smart. You guys started thinking about the way you wanted to travel and a class A or a schoolie just didn't make sense for that. And I think a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. think about how they travel. And really at the end of the day, you guys are $10,000 all in. If you decided immediately like on the road where it was like, oh man, we should have got a class A, you probably could sell it for what you put into it. And it didn't cost you anything except you learned a bunch of cool skills and now you can go out and get what you want. That's what's really cool about this lifestyle too. So no experience in RVing, which is really kind of a theme on the show. Most people I talk to have no experience. It sounds like you guys, I mean, obviously November of 2019, we haven't even hit our first year yet. And normally what I like to do is talk about someone's travel schedule, but I feel like yours might be a little different than maybe what you guys had planned and where it ended up. But what was the plan in November of 2019 when it just looked like any other year was coming upon us? What was your travel schedule going to look like? Well, we were going to leave Missouri and we stopped in Kentucky and that's what we had planned. And we were going to go see my daughter in Nashville. And then we were going to make our way down to Florida. We had some camp hosting gigs line up and we were supposed to spend like the late spring, early summer here. But with everything that happened, we got stuck in Georgia camp hosting for four months there. And then our friends ended up needing some help. So that's kind of what brought us to Florida. But our original plan was to go all the way west. We were going to be out in the desert this time during the summer. So (laughs) that kind of changed because I'm still not sure if it's the right time to travel or not. We're kind of taking it day by day. Yeah, I think it's where you travel to is kind of the key deciding factor. I mean, I do feel pretty fortunate, you know, being from Los Angeles really my entire life that I'm in areas where... You know, I can keep things at, at, at a better, safe kind of pace than I normally would if I was living in Los Angeles. And you can make those choices and decisions. You mentioned work camping. What are you guys doing for work on the road? Are you guys still working, retired? Let me know. Uh, we're retired, but we have the opportunity. Like right now, we're, we're staying in our friend's driveway while we're helping renovate his house. So we don't really have to pay for any place to live right now. Yeah, we're kind of work camping for him. And then we have the opportunity to travel and go through some of the state parks and work camp, which is nice because it doesn't, you know, we don't have a fee to pay any place to live. They give us a site to work. Have you guys done that? And do you enjoy it? Yeah, we did it uh, at Black Rock Mountain State Park in Georgia for about four months. And it was great. Met a lot of nice people. Even during the COVID crisis that's been going on, that was probably the, the hardest thing was still being in a public area during, you know, a pandemic. During that process, because the parks never closed, we had people from all over the country still coming to visit. Yeah. When we started breaking, we're not really a news company. We, you know, the magazine is really more evergreen. And when we started breaking that state parks were closing and just trying to keep full timers aware of that, there was a lot of people that were really upset. And I remember thinking, you know, most people don't think of state parks as where full time people go. They think of it as a weekend thing or a getaway thing. So it would make sense that a state would say, hey, we need to stop kind of weekend traveling right now. We're trying to keep people quarantined. And I saw a lot of full timers just like lose their mind. And and I was like, "Okay, this isn't going to make sense right now to go state park kind of camping, even though I don't consider what I do camping. But I'd have to go somewhere else like long stay. How was that? What was the the vibe when people were coming from states away 
and checking it at a state park would were were there people like shaming other people or was it all like hey as long as you're staying cool and clean we're all right it was kind of both you had people that were there that didn't seem like much was going on and then you had people that were coming there and there were social distancing and things like that it was just a mix of both you can tell the people that were keeping their distance from the others and then the people that really didn't want to keep their distance. And it was kind of strange timing because we saw such a huge influx of people just coming to go camping, to get away from things. So there was families that were trying to just get their kids out and spend some time in nature. They they were shocked at how many people were actually in the parks because our park was so full that it had to actually close the gates a few times. So I think that caught people off guard too. No, without a doubt. I was very surprised to see that the industry is having such a boom. I think I read recently that the RV industry had its best June in like 10 years. But that makes sense. I mean, if you're going to start looking at how you're going to travel and vacation moving forward, and you just don't know. This is a great way to be able to do that. And you can really control a lot of those variables from flights to hotels being canceled and, and getting out and doing things. What I'd like to talk about too is, okay, so if there was no COVID, what's your guys kind of routine in the sense that are you guys planning on doing longer stays or are you guys going to try to power through and do the lower 48, visit all the national parks? Like what's your guys thing? I'll be honest with you. We really didn't have a plan. We knew, I know that's so silly. We, we knew that we wanted to end up out West. We knew we wanted to go to the mountain and we just kind of started going and said to ourselves that we were going to let our journey kind of unfold. However, it unfolded. Um, We do plan a little bit, but you you have to, but we've kind of been open to new opportunities and letting things just kind of go as they went. So I know that's silly. Most people be like, how can you not have a plan? But that's how we did it. No, it, it makes sense too. I mean, I've had, when I first started, I was working for a company where I had to go to conferences and I thought, you know, it'd be really smart is I'll just, we'll take the RV and I can, you know, stay nearby the conference. Stupidest idea because I had to like rush from the West coast to Boston and then from Boston to Cleveland. It just was a nightmare. I've also had situations with a plan when I'm like, you know, staying on someone's farm and they're like, Hey, you know, you can stay two weeks if you want to. But I can't because I have this reservation at the state park now that I won't get refunded if I cancel. And so I totally get, you know, as much as we can now, we try not to have things planned out. You know, I I have my next day planned and that's it. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think it's that out of the norm. And that's one of the things I really want to talk about. There isn't a right way or a wrong way to do this life. Are you guys feeling that? I mean, I feel sometimes people will say, well, the only way to do it is if you're just going to boondock 100% or the only way to do it is if you're going to be at national parks. And, and I just, I, right. I, maybe in the beginning, I was thinking a little bit like that, but really at the end of the day, everyone just finds their kind of sweet spot. And even though I feel like you guys definitely picked a rough time to find your sweet spot, but at least you're there helping a friend and mooch talking and being able to help someone out. That's a great experience too. So things do seem to kind of work themselves out. It's been really nice because we've been able to see this area and we've been able to hang out. And I mean, it's not so bad. I mean, we're parked in a really nice area of Vero Beach. They have a pool, so we get to go swimming whenever we want. And we're learning a lot of new skills and getting to kind of pass on some knowledge that that we have with construction and carpentry to help our friends out. So I don't, I think it's a mutually beneficial, you know, situation that we're in right now. So that makes it pretty cool. As far as doing something the right way with this, it's just going to have to be what works for the individual person or family or couple, whoever decides to do this. 
it's uh it's gonna have to be a commitment and you're gonna have to commit to it and just keep understanding that there's gonna be very very rough days but those days will shortly come to an end and it will get better and easier yeah i also feel like one of the things and it'd be interesting to see what you guys have felt even though it's been a short time is that you know when i lived in a bricks and sticks and i had my nine to five my vacations had a real like high to them because I was very, you know, hyper aware that I'm on vacation. I feel like now my life, it's not that it's a vacation, but I'm doing things that others, that's their vacation. Like that's their bucket list. And I'm doing it just as my everyday life. That some of these things are becoming a little like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I was there, you know, at the Grand Canyon. I forgot about that. You know what I mean? Where when I went to the Grand Canyon in whatever, 2014, it was a specific trip for the area where now... You know, it's not that it's, it, there's not like this plateau. It's that I just don't have this kind of like boring life. I hate to say that, but this boring life to measure it to anymore. Cause every day is like a cool new adventure. Right. You're absolutely right. I mean, what the thing about this lifestyle is that if you're on a place and you don't really like it, hook up and go find another place. Right. And when can you do that in any other life, you know, where it's, I mean, I guess you could say, Hey kids, I'm going to go and get a pack of cigarettes and then you don't come back, but you know, right. where else can you really do that? And I always, you know, when I have these conversations with people too, where, you know, they're miserable with the weather. I'm always like, you do have a vehicle on wheels. You don't have to, you can go. <laughs> it's that kind of fun moment. But when my friends are in bricks and sticks and they're living in, you know, whether Northern Minnesota and they're telling me, Hey, there's only three months a year that are nice. They don't have a choice. They just get those three months a year. So, so, but this lifestyle, you could just pack up and travel where you need to and hopefully find a warmer place if you want it. It's, it's a good lifestyle. We've actually both been enjoying it and we plan on continuing to do this until we decide to find a place to call home, I guess. Do you feel, even though it's been a short term, do you see yourself, even if you found like a new piece of property in bricks and sticks, do you think the idea of always having a rig ready to go will be part of your life? We've been talking because there is a part of us that misses having the space of a home sometimes and, you know, me not sleeping right up against the wall and our air conditioner not making <laughs> noises all night long. And, you know, there's there's little things that we miss about regular regular life, I guess I'll call it. We won't go normal brick and sticks. We plan to maybe build a tiny home, maybe less than 600 square feet. And our plan is to actually maybe use an old grain silo to make our home out of. Very cool. I like that. I, I think that's it. That's the neat thing about this lifestyle too. And you know, the reason I didn't call the magazine full-time RV or, or anything, or even the podcast and use the term rootless, it, it's not that you can't have roots. It's not that you can't have a place. It's just finding a way to live a little different than maybe what we've all been taught. Like the American dream, I think is changing. And as you know, COVID happened, I really started thinking more and more about having, let's say a home base to go back to. But I think there's part of me and not some weird like zombie kind of prepper way, but there's something in me that would love to be able to go wheels up in about 15 minutes if I needed to. And then just head out for right. a couple months, half a year, a week, doesn't matter. Exactly. And we've talked about how the biggest thing is really just not having like a home base. And uh, it's been kind of scary for us because of parks and stuff that have closed due to COVID. We really didn't know exactly where we were going to end up and go to. Um, and we're still kind of new at all of this, so we don't know all of the, the tricks and stuff about, you know, finding places to stay. And, you know, you look on the state park because we kind of like the state parks. We look at 
their reservations and there's nothing. So in a pinch, if we really needed to bounce, like there's some hurricanes that are possibly coming towards the Southern United States and where I don't know where we're going to go. So things like that are a little scary. Yeah. I'm a lover of state parks Sunday around 3 PM until Friday morning. (laughs) (laughs) That's like my sweet spot. I've been in some, there was one I was at, it was just outside of uh, Lake Michigan in Illinois. And I swear we got there on a Saturday, maybe it was 500 campsites. And I swear there was 480 campers, like in every site, just packed. And Sunday around 3 p.m., maybe five rigs in all those spots. And then until that Friday again, and then Friday came around and right around, I don't know, 2 p.m. or so just filled up again. And I realized, wow, you know what? Maybe my problem from finding reservations is that I'm trying to start it on a Friday or a Saturday. Let me look at starting my reservations on a Sunday and getting out of there on a Friday. And, and most I've had pretty good success. There's not a lot of people that can spend a whole week in a state park outside of, you oh, know, yeah. yeah, obvious summer. If you or, really want to be, if you really want to be alone in a state park, go to the mountains of Georgia during the winter, because we basically spent probably two straight months where we were camp hosting and we were the only people there. Wow. So, <laughs> what, what's the weather like? It was, well, it was very rainy and very cold and snowed a lot. And because of the elevation there where we were, even when it wasn't supposed to be raining, we were literally like in the cloud deck. So you couldn't see four feet out of your window. Wow. Yeah. It was kind of a a, a little sad. (laughs) We were all alone. I mean, I do talk about there are places like if you think about like the Outer Banks in North Carolina, they have a really high season and their weather is pretty decent in the off season, but it's a ghost town. You know, if you can find whether it's Airbnbs or campgrounds, there's just no one there. And the weather's still really nice. I mean, it's not bikini weather. Not that I would, right. not that I'm rocking a bikini, but you know, I mean, it's, it's still, you can get out there in shorts and walk around and and all that kind of stuff. I do find it funny in this lifestyle that I meet people where I see someone like one person will be out like in a tank top and shorts and someone else has a jacket. And I always know the jacket is from Arizona and I'll walk up and be like, Hey, you from Arizona? Like, how did you know? And I'm like, because you think 71 is freezing. That's how I know. (laughs) So when you guys aren't traveling and obviously when you're not camp hosting and doing those kind of things, what are you guys doing for exploring? What are you guys, you know, find fun? What are the hobbies? What are you guys doing? We really like doing things outdoors, Uh, love hiking, fishing, just anything that we can do outdoors. Casey likes doing photography. We'll go canoeing or kayaking, whatever. It's we're up for anything. We really just like to be out in nature and enjoy the surroundings. We kind of don't want to be in big cities or around large groups, you know, anymore due to, you know, the COVID and stuff either. So it's nice to be able to get to the rural area to get out and get in nature. Do you guys do a lot of like harvest hosts or boondockers welcome or anything like that? We haven't done that yet. Yeah, not we, we yet. We looked into it a little bit, but I, I don't know. That's, I know I saw some people that do the beet harvest up north and I thought that was pretty cool. And the cranberry harvest, um, that, that would probably be something that we would look into because even though we're retired, we both kind of have a hard time not having things to do. So I think some sort of harvest host would be a good Thing for us because it would give us something that we'd have to get up and go go do every day. Yeah, I think it for me, anytime I can go stay on someone's property, and especially a lot of times it's farms that are, you know, hundreds of acres, 
it's just being able to get away from the campground for a little while, whether it's state park or anything like that. And just kind of, you know, I mean, recharge in a way and you just get back to small rural kind of America. I've, I've had some weird moments. I would tell someone, Hey, next time we're coming through, we'll check and see if you're going to be here. And then, you know, we'll come and stay on your property again. And these people have literally told me, Hey, Damien, if we're not here, you can still come and stay on the property. And I'm like, wow. right. And I'm like, man, I don't even have family that'll let me do that. That's crazy. You know, <laughs> but that's the way this kind of lifestyle is. And that's, what's great about those kind of programs. You know, if I had a hundred acres, I would make a little spot somewhere available for full-time RVers to come and hang out. But I mean, granted power and sewer and things like that aren't always available, but it's still really worth it. Something I would definitely look into. Where, right. where have you guys stayed? That's been like your, your, your favorite spot so far. I know it's kind of limited and still early in the process, but where have you been where you're just like, wow, this is, this is why we're doing this. Yeah. Tim's Ford state park in Tennessee. We stayed there for about a month. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, well, Black Rock Mountain State Park Georgia. Yeah, in Georgia because of the waterfalls out there are amazing. And there's a lot of areas to go hiking and sightseeing. And then uh, we stayed at Okeechobee, uh, Stevens Foster in lower part of Georgia. That's a really good place to see because they have what they consider, um, what was the lights? Oh, I forgot what it's called. The way, the way they have their lighting system, it doesn't reflect up. So you're able to see like the true night sky. Oh, wow. That's fair. Stars are beautiful there. Well, I mean, it, only starting in November and we're here in August, it's, you guys have done quite a bit, even in and around kind of some of the restrictions. And I'm glad you guys are hitting spots that you really enjoy. And once things lift, I think you guys are going to have an absolute blast. That's for sure. I think I do want to backtrack just a little if we can and just talk about the build out because I don't think I've had anyone. I've had one other couple that I think they basically built it from scratch and that was their thing. How was that process? Did you guys have that kind of skill set beforehand or is it something you were learning while doing? Take me through that a little. Uh, we both uh, have kind of had the skill set where we're DIYers for from a from really a long time forever. So we bought the RV and we didn't have a place to work on it. We had it in a storage lot. So this was winter of 2019. So we were starting to gut it then. Uh, like she was saying, we were hoping it wasn't going to be very bad. But as soon as we took the walls and the cabinets off, all four corners were completely rotted. So we had to go down to the studs, redid the floor. Basically everything. Yeah, basically everything. And it really wasn't until maybe the summertime where I was working at a local cabinet shop and was able to focus more time on the RV. And me and her started really maybe June or so we start really kicking it into gear. I think one of the notes I saw for you guys, I was trying to find it. It's only like, like 150, 160 square feet trailer, right? Yeah. It's 160 square feet. It's small. small. (laughs) That's really small. But I mean, again, when you start thinking about a 600 square foot home, that's going to feel like a palace, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we went from 3000 square feet to about 1300 square feet to like 850 square feet before we moved into this. So if, if I can just imagine 500 square feet, it's like three times bigger than this. And I, I don't know what I would do with all of that room, honestly. <laughs> I know that I think when I think about a house now, and it, I'll be honest, and this will make me sound like such a douchebag, but I feel like I wanted like an 8,000 square foot home with like an eight car garage. You know, I wanted that like status. We're now, oh, yeah. I, I want a 10th of that. I'd love to have 800 square feet, but I'll say this. I want like 100 square feet to be the shower. I want like a 10 foot by 10 foot shower. Just once in my yeah. life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just 400 jets. I don't care what's going on. I'm not going to worry about conserving water. 
I just want a big, and especially coming out of an RV now, now I even want it more. And I've always wanted that. Be happy if I can lay in bed and not reach over and touch my toilet. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're living in like my parents' first New York apartment. I honestly think the toilet was in the kitchen, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I was like, who designed this? It's pretty tight in here. <laughs> That's funny. But again, I think too, you know, any relationship that can handle, cl- you know, close quarters like that, backing up, uh, you know, when it's bad weather outside and you're stuck inside, it really is one of those things where you realize, man, we can get through anything if we can get through this. And, you know, and then you really do start to appreciate like what a home should really look like or what a home does look like. And it's not about the size. It's not about the bedrooms. I think I recently had a couple on, there was two of them. They had three and a half bathrooms and that would be like challenging for me. Which bathroom do I use? I haven't been in this bathroom in two years. That poor bathroom, you know, it would be really stressful to figure out which restroom to use. <laughs> we, we've even talked about like maybe just finding a short term rental around here just for about six months. So hopefully everything can kind of, you know, get back to somewhat normal and you can't find anything here. That's more, it's always three bedroom, two bath, and we just don't need all the space. Right. That is really interesting. I never thought about that. And then, you know, or then you have to rent something that's sharing walls. If you want a studio or a one bedroom apartment and like, there isn't that just the tiny home kind of rentals, you know, to be honest. And even when they are, they're super expensive. Like I I looked at like, you know, you can almost rent a three bedroom, two bath for the same price that you can rent a little studio cabin somewhere. And it's like, none of this is making sense anymore. Real estate makes absolutely no sense to me. I've never really understood it and how you could buy something for a hundred thousand dollars and do some improvements in that. Now, because you bought it for a hundred thousand, you've done improvements. You have to pay half a million dollars in taxes on it, you know, because someone said that's what it's worth now. And I haven't even sold it. It's insane. Don't get me started. Exactly. And then you, even if you have a piece of property, you can't necessarily do what you need to do with it unless you jump through hoops to get permits and pay extra money and pay more and more. That's, That's the thing we wanted to get away from. Oh, you me brother. I mean, coming from California, I think you can't even collect rainwater. And I remember thinking like, wait, what? How can there be a rule? If I want to collect rainwater and have a drip to the desert cactuses, how can that be a rule? Two, (laughs) I think what I found out, I originally was thinking 10 acres. Like, you know, I mean, again, I think the most I ever had was about two and a half acres, which was really rare in Orange County, California. And, but it really got me used to my neighbors not being close. And I like that. And obviously this lifestyle, I've had a little bit of mix of both. Either my neighbors are eight feet away or they're a mile away. And I think I was 10 acres, but now I'm closer to 100 acres. And it's for two reasons. One is sometimes in a lot of areas, the difference between 10 acres and 100 acres isn't very much money because you're just buying so much bulk. But two is when you have that much acreage for a lot of areas, it's the wild, wild west. They do not care. I mean, I stayed on a guy's property. He built his own lake and didn't get that permitted, but he was originally from Virginia. So he walked into, you know, the clerk's office and was like, here's my plans. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. And they were like, you have 250 acres. We don't care what you do. As long as you don't burn down the town, go do what you want to do. And that's where I was like, okay, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, if I want to have a couple (laughs) RV pads on my property, if I want to have a cabin that's down by the lake and my kids want to come stay, I don't need special permitting. I don't need, you know, where now all of a sudden the value of my land is tripled and that kind of stuff. It's so weird to me. So yeah, I think it's a lot of learning that we get to do in and around this lifestyle. Here's a question I don't think I've asked someone and I'll ask you guys. Any bug or itch to own a campground at all? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we have talked about it. I feel like that comes up. I feel like as we get in full time, you know, we're doing this, we, we see it from a full timer's eyes that, you know, this industry could use some real help. There could be a way better way of even, I, you yeah. know, again, you're not even your full year. I would say even in my first six months to a year, I was like, who's designing 
these campground spaces. Like, did they stayed at one actual like RV campground in Nashville, Tennessee, through the Thanksgiving holidays, and we ended up there because. We didn't plan, imagine that, <laughs> and we needed a place to stay. We didn't realize it's Thanksgiving, so everyone's going to be traveling. We didn't know any better. So it was very apparent almost immediately that that kind of environment was just not for us. It was jam-packed. You know, you looked out your window and all you saw was somebody else's window. And that yes, there was a train too that went by about every 30 minutes. It was just not our idea. That was actually one of the points in which both of us kind of sat there thinking, do we really want to live like this? Cause it was a hard, it was a hard moment. It was right when we first got on the road, it was one of our first experiences and we were both just not happy with that. I will say after interviewing over 40 people, a lot of people in the first month experienced some really bad things, whether it's mechanical breakdowns, whether it's like a really crazy camper parked next to them, cancellations, just all this really weird mojo happens in the first month. It's almost as a way to kind of stop you from doing it in a way. And, but once, like, I think even you said it earlier, Jesse, that once you kind of power through that stuff, then it just does get a lot easier, which is really a rule for anything in life. And, but for some reason, I've seen that come up in topics too, where, man, the first week we had almost $10,000 in repairs. And it's like, if that doesn't make you say, Hey, maybe we're making the wrong mistake. I don't know what does. And they powered through and they've been doing it six or seven years now. Our first night when we left Missouri, we were actually going to stop in Illinois at a state park and camp for the night on the way to Kentucky. And as soon as we hooked up the water, our water heater had busted and had put about two and a half gallons, three gallons or so all over the floor in the RV. So so we packed up from there and said, screw it, and just hooked back up and drove all the way into Kentucky. Wow. Those are never fun, especially breakdowns <laughs> in the beginning. That was a tough day. Is it harder when it's you that built the rig? Like, at least I can blame this on someone having a bad day at work if something went wrong with my rig. But when you guys are the ones building it, what's that like? What it came down to is because we installed a tankless water heater and it was so cold. It was like a few days before we left, it got down to like seven degrees where we lived in Missouri. And I didn't get the water drained all the way out of the system and it had froze and broke the pipe. So it was something that really I didn't know much about or realize that I had to do. but. The thing was, is we hooked it up. We know how to fix it. And we got a new one about a month later. We finally had hot water. That's amazing. That's a tough way to start. And normally, and as I'm getting to the wrap up, I do this low high thing. I I mean, I think that's a pretty good low that at least you guys, unless you have something else that's really been a low on the road that besides, you know, the first kind of breakdown, the first really crappy like campground stay, has there been a a low that's made you question it at all besides those Um, two? No, not really. It was the first month was hard getting adjusted to living this way. And I think because we were still in areas where there was winter, it made it harder. And now really the only thing that we even question is about like, you know, COVID and stuff. Is it, is it worth traveling right now? And should we maybe find a place to put up a home base and then continue to travel when things kind of go back to the way we would consider what normal would be? Yeah, it is a tough, it is a tough spot for sure to kind of figure through those things. And I, I mean, I've heard people that left literally like early February, they went full time and I'm just like, wow, they didn't even get a couple, they didn't even get a month in before everything kind of got shut down. And, and we don't know, we don't know what the new normal will look like at some point. And I, you know, the great thing about these podcasts are evergreen. You might be listening to this right now and we're talking about COVID that happened five years ago and you're listening to it now being like, 
hey man, everything went back to normal. What are you guys tripping? You know, that's what's weird about evergreen kind of publications. Well, what's been a real high though? What's been something where you have been like, I can't believe this is our life and just really excited about the changes that you guys have made. Getting to travel and see places like both of us really didn't even realize Georgia had the mountains that they do. And, you know, we got to see a part of Georgia that neither one of us have ever been to meet a lot of great people um, on the road and stuff, especially being a camp host. We came across some great people on the road and that's been a highlight and stuff. And it's gotten to take us to visit family and friends that we haven't seen in years. For me, it's been a huge just personal growth over the last nine to 10 months. This last year, I mean, we're in our forties and I feel like we have grown so much just from this experience. It's been hard, but totally worth it. Yeah. Didn't I see somewhere like on Instagram, like, did you guys show, I hope it's you guys that did some sort of before and after photo and it was almost like you couldn't recognize you guys. Oh yeah. That's us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody said that we looked like our, our parents or something in the before picture, like we would, we were so old or something. I don't know. I don't, the before photo looked like a seventies photo. And then like the, I, I even thought that I think when I saw it and I think Nikki brought it up to me, she's like, wait, that's the same people. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Like, because yeah. I mean, you guys have been together for a while, right? Yes. Yeah. 16 years. There you go. Yeah. That was really funny. I remember seeing those and being like, what is, what kind of filter is that? The first photo? No filter. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I want to make sure people know where to find you and where they can see these before and after photos. If you guys are open to people hanging out and following you and asking questions, uh, where can people find you in social media, blog, videos, whatever you guys are doing, where can they find you? The only social media that we are on is Instagram and we are utopia underscore road underscore life, utopia road life. Gotcha. And I'll put that down below. And Jesse did say something that I want people to know is that when he was talking about meeting amazing people on the road, I agree with that. But if you're only experienced to full-time RV, and this is probably not exclusive to full-time RV, is social media, especially in and around Facebook groups or things like that, you might not think there's amazing people out here. But trust me, if you don't look at those people on social media, if you just get to a campground or a state park or whatever it is, I always make the joke. If you're at a state park or a campground and you can't make friends, just pop a tire off your rig. And before you know it, all kinds of people will be over trying to help you out and bringing beers and yes. hanging out with you. So it is a really great exactly. lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show, sharing your story. I will probably do some like follow-up episodes where I bring people back. I think I want to bring you guys back because you're so new. And then obviously COVID hitting it, just that really does put, you know, a damper on this whole lifestyle. I'll, I'll definitely try to yeah. find a time to bring you guys back and let's see uh, how things are going when uh, hopefully if things get back to some sort of normal for us travelers. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. All right, you guys. Take care. Have a good one. All right. Too. Thank you. I can't believe how hot these rigs get as soon as you turn the AC off. It always makes me laugh. Yes. Three years later, I'm We're still sweating like, too. Yeah. Well, another fun episode. And again, a big thank you to Jesse and Casey for coming on the show and giving us an insider's look at what it took for them to go full-time nomad. And I still really can't believe they bought their trailer for a thousand dollars. It's pretty amazing. If you have any questions for Jesse and Casey, feel free to reach out to them personally. The links to how to get in touch with them are in the show notes. Also, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast or the Rootless Living magazine, make sure to let your friends and family know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It's a really big help in getting the word out, and we really appreciate it. Also, if you are sharing us, make sure to use the hashtag Rootless Living so that way we can find you and we can share you as well. 
and how I end every episode. If you know someone that you think would make a good guest on this show, or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com, and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.